I don't know how to swim. And that became a problem one time in Current River. And uh, there was this day that my family was all there, and I swam a little bit too far out. I guess I didn't swim. I walked a little bit too far out. Um, And those currents are huge. I mean, they are just really, they could drag you anywhere. And before I knew it, I was being pulled under. And still in my mind today, this is so memorable in my life, I remember that it kind of tossed me head over heels. I would show you how that works, but you don't want to see that. Uh, But I would, in the water, and I was once, my head would come up. Twice my head came up. That third time, I started yelling, I need help. I think I even said mayday. I don't know why that came to my mind. But my sister, Kathy, is on the shore, and she is a very good swimmer. And I am maydaying and screaming because I just keep coming up out of that water. And I'm afraid something's going to happen and I'm going to be pulled down. And Kathy came out, swam to me. About the time she got there, she just grabbed my hand and lifted me out of the water. And I was rescued. And at that moment, there was like this exhilaration uh, because I in my young mind, thought I'd come so close to death. And my sister came along as a rescue for me and helped me out of that. And she yelled at me some afterwards. But anyway, um, it was that moment when I really feel like I was rescued. So I want you to think about that today. We're in the second uh, part of a two-part series that we've called Ordinary Me. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament and how he was dealt some pretty bad cards in life, but he was able to take those cards and play them in such a way that God was glorified and things turned out great in the end. Today, we're going to go into the New Testament, into uh, the book of John, John chapter 10, and we're going to look at one verse of today and kind of dig into it. We'll have some verses that complement it, but mostly we're going to stay right here in John 10.10. And what that verse says is this, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so they could have real and eternal life, a better life than you've ever dreamed of. So that's a favorite translation of that verse uh, of mine. That says that a thief will come to still kill, kill and destroy, but I, that's Jesus speaking, came so that they could have real and eternal life, a better life than you've ever dreamed of. And for those of you that are regulars here at Hammock, if you haven't already committed this verse to memory, I would really urge you to do that, to memorize this, to be able to kind of pull it out in those times when you feel like life is just a little bit too ordinary or life is really, really hard at that time. We're going to look through this, and Jesus starts off by saying that there's a thief. And who is the thief? The thief is the devil who is an enemy of God. All that Satan wants to do is pull us away from him. And he wants us to be in a situation where we are not following what God wants. We're not looking for the life that God has for us. If I was to be able to 
go out with you for coffee and we're sitting knee to knee at a table and I look in your eyes and I say, what is your dream in life? I'm sure I would hear some really, really cool things. I think there would be a lot of that. When I was a teacher, I always taught American literature and we would always start off the year talking about the American dream. And what is the American dream? It's a white picket fence and a house, 2.5 kids. I don't know what you do with half a kid, but that's what they say. And uh, that's what we wanted to, to live for. We talked about you know giving, living a life so that our kids have a better life than what we did and things like that. And those are all great. And I think God really uh, honors our desires in that way. But um, one of the things is, I know a lot of people that have all of those things. I know people who have a lot of money, uh, people that have a lot of fame. And all of those things don't seem to bring them happiness don't seem to bring them joy or purpose in life. I was really thinking as I was putting this together of how recently there have been so many high-profile people who've ended their own lives. And people that we would say, you have it all. Somebody like Kate Spade, a multimillionaire woman with this great line of clothing and purses and all of these things. But even though in the world's eye, she had it all. She didn't seem to have a reason to live. Or somebody like Anthony Bourdain, I love to travel. I'm a, kind of a culture junkie. I love to go all over the world. And he did that, but he still had an emptiness and he ended his life. And so as much as we think that things like that can bring us to a point where we have joy and happiness and feel comfortable. I think what has happened in the world and what we have seen shows, not really, that's not necessarily what those things bring. So when we talk about a thief, we talk about somebody who's actually taking things from you. I grew up in a inner city neighborhood. My father was the pastor of a small inner city church, actually pastored there for almost 50 years. And we lived above the church in an apartment. And so when I say I was raised in church, no, really, I was raised in church. Um, And one of the things about our church in that community, even though there was lots of gang activity, um, there were lots of crimes going on all around us, probably the most crime-ridden area in all of St. Louis, there was this kind of unspoken rule with those people that you don't mess with that church. And that really was because, as best they could, uh, my parents' ministry was to really reach out and help people. And they knew that with, with food and bills and clothing, all of those things. And so although uh, we were in this really uh, rough area, we, I had a sense of safety there because even though all that stuff kind of happened around us, the church was off limits. And then one day comes, and I don't remember where we had been, but we came back home. And as we walked to the door that led to the steps to our apartment, it was broken and open. And my dad went on up first, 
and then said, okay, you guys can come on up. Everything seems to be safe. And when we got there, uh, all of our drawers had been emptied out and all of our things were all over the floor. Uh, the kitchen cabinets were the same way. Uh, and several things, we didn't have anything really worth much. Several things were gone. Uh, they had taken those things. And I remember at that moment that I felt really, really violated. Like all of a sudden that safety and that security was gone. And not only gone, but like I felt personally attacked and afraid on, on my own level. Now what comes in the other side of the story is that that never happened again. This was a one-off. So it could happen in Boca just as much as it happened to us in North St. Louis. But I think what a thief does is he violates us. If you've ever had anything stolen, you probably have felt that feeling of being violated and something of yours that is yours and not supposed to be somebody else's being taken away. And that's the idea I think Jesus had in calling the enemy the thief in this passage. Uh, Peter talks about this too, and he puts it in a different way. Be careful, uh, be careful, watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. So he gives us this picture that maybe even goes another step further than just a thief, and it's this lion that's just waiting to pounce on you and devour you. In 2019, Jackson and I got the opportunity to do a mission trip to Kenya, and it was great, just a terrific trip. But one of the things that our host arranged for us was we got to go on a real African safari, which, you know, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It was amazing. Uh, and we drove around in this Jeep, and in Kenya, they do the British way of driving. So the passenger side is on the left, and the driver's side is on the right. And I would ride in that passenger seat, even as we are going around. And our driver gets a radio message from another driver saying, hey, we found something interesting a little bit off the road, which they weren't supposed to go a little bit off the road, but they did. And we pull up and we stop and there's a pride of lions in the distance. Now, probably about as close as I am to the second row here. And I'm looking in the window, so it's them in their natural habitat. Beautiful, beautiful creatures. There's some greenery right up by the, the van that we were in, or the Jeep. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'm just really, like, in awe of, like, God and creation and this beautiful setting and these beautiful animals, when all of a sudden, from behind that greenery, a lion jumps up right at my window. And I was like, I, I, I didn't really respond as I heard everybody else in the Jeep kind of be like, <gasps> and I just kind of sat there for a second and the lion ended up, rather than jumping in and eating me, as you can obviously see, she ran off. And uh, I actually got a picture of her walking away. Why I thought I wanted to document that moment, I don't know. But that's what this picture that Peter is giving us here about the enemy is. 
that he's prowling around, and you may be looking off somewhere in the distance, but he's going to jump out at you. He's just waiting for that moment where he'll be able to pounce on you and really do damage to who you are. Whenever I am putting a message together, I normally think of three different kinds of people that may be here um, to hear that. And the first one of those uh, I call the sold out people. And when I say that, I mean that there are some of you who are here and you really understand this Jesus thing. You get it, you love him, you want to be like him, you're serving him, you're not just showing up on Sunday to mark a check off your list. This is all part of that relationship that you have with Jesus and you are very, very excited that God has rescued you. And so I think that the enemy, from the way Jesus put in this verse, the thief comes to steal. And I think for sold out people, he's coming to steal your joy. And what I mean by that is he loves to see things go wrong in your life. He loves to see things mess up and pull you away from the joy we could have in Christ. He just revels in those kind of moments for sold out people. He knows you get this. You totally understand it. You love Jesus. You're trying to live for him. There's not much he could do to change that. And so he just likes to make you not real joyful. Then the next group I call the stumblers. And those are the people that I think about that may be here listening to the message who have a relationship with Jesus, but it's a rocky road. That sometimes it's really great, sometimes it's really bad. Mostly you're here to check that box off because you need to be here on Sunday. But your life around you is not anything that really reflects the joy and the rescue in your life. And I think that the thief comes to stumblers to kill your witness. And what I mean by that is the people around you, when you leave this building every day, if you're a stumbler, um, it's very likely that you've already had a moment of witness killing. And there are people in your life that say, well, look at how they reacted to that situation. Why would I even care about being Christian? We're doing the same things. We're acting the same way. And Satan comes in and he wants us to just kill our witness. So people will say, well, look, that person says they're a Christian and they do this or they do that. And so he does that to stumblers uh, and he does that to try and make us ineffective for Christ. And then the last group are the seekers. These are people that maybe you're here today and a family member invited you, so you're like, yeah, I guess I'll go. Or maybe you are really seeking out what Christianity is about, what you've heard about Christianity and what uh, God can do in somebody's life. And so you're here, and maybe you would say to me after the service, you know, there is just something there that when they were singing those songs or you're reading a passage of scripture, I just kind of felt something on the inside. And I would say, hey, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. But what the enemy wants to do is to pull you away from any of that so that he can completely destroy your life and take you away from a relationship with Jesus completely. 
And so his goal for seekers is to say, this stuff isn't really real. You don't want any part of this because he knows then that he can do his best to convince you not to live a life that follows Christ ever. And it'll give you reasons to fill that. Sometimes it might even be you going about your business this week, whether you go to work or wherever, just hanging out with your friends. And you say, yeah, I went to that Hammock Street Church on Sunday. And they start to say, why would you go to church? Well, that's goofy. Church is stupid. And you start to feel kind of ugh about it. And that is the enemy trying to destroy your life and keep you away from God completely. So how does the enemy's attack affect us? You see those kind of three different types of people. Well, I think he does that by making us believe the world offers us something great. What the world wants you to believe is that it's all about you. Uh, I can remember uh, growing up and McDonald's, or Burger King had the theme song, Have It Your Way. Um, and we're always trying to cater to our needs and who we are. And the world says, that's what you need to do. You don't have to worry as much about other people because if you improve yourself, that's just going to take care of that. You need to focus on you. Uh, Some people would say, uh, and the world would want us to believe, that by following Christ, you're missing out on something, that there's all this extra stuff going on, and you're not involved in any of that, and you're not having... uh, the full experience of life because of your relationship with Jesus. And then some will say, you need to control your own life to be content. You need to be your own boss. You have to be independent. You have to think for yourself. You have to only care about you. And if you're in control of it and you make the decisions you make, you can be content. And I don't think that's even close to what God's word says to us at all. There's the real world versus the false world. And I think the false world is a world that says these type of things, these things that are built in us to make us feel better, to make us feel like we're succeeding. But the problem with that is just like that lion was hiding behind the greenery that day, Satan kind of hides behind those things, and the world is really different when we look at it. Because the ordinary life that the world offers is a lot about pain. There's a lot of pain in what the world has to offer us. And we we see that in some of the things I've already talked about with people who have it all, but life just isn't worth living, and they don't want to do that anymore. There's family issues. There's addiction. um, There's this idea that the world gives us that if you do things your way, if you live a life where you're concentrated on your needs and what you have, then you're going to experience this great, great joy. But really, when you pull things away, there's a lot of pain. And I would say today, there's probably some pain in this room and some pain that we've been through and some pain that we're still dealing with. And so we can start to see maybe what the world says isn't exactly the real world. Also, I think the uh, ordinary life that the world offers us is one that's hate-filled. And I think we can see that so easily through racism and classism and even just the idea that you can't be 
the way you want to be and be fully loved. You can't be who you are and people of the world accept you and love you. So we're always changing things. I think this is where uh, things like fashion and music and all of these things start to come into play with us. And we start to think, well, if I change just this much, then I'll be accepted and I'll be loved and people won't hate me. And I think that the world also offers us a temporary happiness. And we end up maybe at the end of the day saying, I was happy back there for a little while, but it didn't last. Why can't this happiness last in us? So when my family moved here three years ago, one of the most exciting things for us was we were finally going to get to be annual pass holders at Disney, the happiest place on earth. And we were so excited about that. And uh, so I can remember we went just before my birthday for the first time as pass holders, and we're like, yeah, we own the kingdom, you know, kind of coming in. And it's this great feeling as we walk through, and all of these neat Things happened, Disney magic happening all around us. And then we got to the point that we're like, hey, we're paying a lot of money for these passes. We need to get out of it everything we can. And so we started saying we would go up at least once a month and we would go to Disney. And so we did that. And eventually it sank into us that we still had work and school and responsibilities. And so we started leaving very late on Friday night so we could be there all day on Saturday and maybe do a little bit time on Sunday and come back home. Um, But we wanted to get our money's worth, so we did that. And it happened time and time again to the point that by the, towards the very end of all of this, we're like, I don't know if this is the happiest place on earth or not. I mean, Mickey's cool, but we're leaving at the end of the day and our feet hurt. And our pockets are a lot less full than they were when we walked in. And, you know, once you've ridden Space Mountain, you've ridden Space Mountain. And yes, it's fun, but we just got to the point that we're like, all the happiest place on earth had to offer us started to kind of just be temporary happiness. And even the moments of Disney magic that would happen for us on trips, by an hour later, we were back to my feet hurt. And we realized that uh, there, that type of happiness, that worldly happiness, only lasts for so long. And uh, eventually we had a couple of weeks right at the end that were really great Disney magic. I think they do something to trick you into thinking it's great when they know you're not going to renew. But (laughs) that temporary happiness was all part of what we lived through during that time. And so we saw that. And then I think all of these things come into this last thing. The ordinary life that the world offers leads us to despair, We start to think, is there anything better than this? Is anything ever going to be better? Is this all there is to life? Because we're buying into the lies that the enemy is throwing out at us. Um, Pain, hate, temporary happiness, despair, and the uh, the lies of the world just start to overcome us, and despair sets in. And that's really because the world is imperfect. So this is all it has 
to offer. I'm never really surprised when I hear bad news. Um, I'm saddened by it. Things like school shootings or people ending their lives or uh, major accidents, things like that. I'm not shocked because I realize the world is broken. The world is imperfect. And I can be sad and I can grieve that, but I know that the ordinary life that the world offers leads to things like that. And it's horrible and it's heart-wrenching and so hard to imagine how God has allowed these things to happen. But then I remember the world is broken. The world is imperfect, and I'm living in an imperfect place. So that's pretty much a big downer. Um, But what's great is God offers a rescue as well, and we can embrace that. God offers freedom. He says, I want you to feel different. I want you to be different. I want to give you freedom. And when he comes in, the pain and the hurt, they don't go away, but they're different. And you feel different about that because you have peace in that. Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sins are forgiven. Free from sin, that's what we get in this extraordinary life that God has for us through this relationship with him. He can say, you know, look back at those things. Look back at the pain in the world, and that is the result of a broken place. But I can give you freedom. I can give you freedom from those hard things. You just have to give those up and give them to me and trust me and trust my plan. The rescue life that God offers is also one where we get love. You can never escape it. And God says that no matter where we go, his love is there for us. Uh, It's so big that there's no getting away from it. Um, Romans 8, uh, 35 and then 38 through 39 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any other, or nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a lot of stuff that can't separate us. And what I love about the way Paul put this is he named certain things, and then he's like, you know what? Everything else, nothing can separate us from that love that God gives us. So when we're walking with him and we're uh, putting our life in his hands and saying, God, I want you to show me your will, to show me your way, he's saying, I will, and nothing will ever take my love away from you. There's no hurt too big. There's no problem too large. There's no conflict that is too involved that it would take you away from my love for you. We can rest in freedom 
because we know that the love that God offers is one that cannot be taken away. And then the rescue life that God offers brings joy. My presence will fill you up. John 18, 11 says, I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is where the world gets it really wrong. The world offers happiness. God offers us joy. And there's a big difference between those things. Happiness is being excited when you get to ride Rise of the Resistance. And you're, ah, I'm so happy. This is so great. When you're done, it's done. And you might come out and um, you trip over and hurt your knee. The happiness is gone. But joy is something that's sustainable. It's something that remains in us. I learned this in a really hard way recently. Um, Some of you know that the first few weeks I was here, it was kind of like, watching a convalescent person coming out of convalescing. And so the first couple of times I came in a wheelchair, then I had a walker, and then I had a walking cast, and I prayed, God, before I preach, please let me get out of this cast, and he did amazing things, and the first week that I was out was last week. Um, But that all came about from a really serious car accident Jackson and I were in, um, in March. And... Um, I was pretty beat up. I ended up spending 10 days in the hospital and a month in a nursing home in rehab uh, and still came home in a wheelchair. So it was, it was a long road. But in the midst of all that, God just did something I wasn't expecting. Uh, I thought that I would kind of I don't know that I ever thought about what I would do in that situation. But had you asked me, I would have thought I would have been pretty depressed and discouraged. But what God did through that time in my life was remind me of joy instead of happiness. And it was so, I almost said weird, but it was so amazing how God started opening my eyes to really common things and I would see him in it. And I might say, um, you know, God, nursing home food, yum, it's great. But I would look at it and I would think, but, you know, God, when I really think about you and I dwell on you and I let you feed me from your word, life is better. And I need to remember that or... Uh, towards the end, I, I would be wheeled over to the place where I was doing rehab, and I would look at the long hallway in front of me, and I would say, God, there are all these doors here, and that kind of represents people that are in pain and are having a hard time, but you're reminding me right now in my joyfulness that there are all these doors that you open and close in our lives. And that as much as this is hard and I don't see an end to any of this, there's an open door out there that you're going to bring me through. And I find joy in that. And so the world would say happiness is the goal, but I would say it's joy. And those are two very, very different things. I was not happy one minute to be in that situation, but somehow God brought me joy. And then I think also the rescue life that God offers us brings us hope because you're going to spend eternity with him. So I pray that God, who gives you hope, 
will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in, in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in Ephesians that in those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And he rescued you. He brought you into a place where you can have hope again. So why do you do with this? Because these are some great things. But how do you show the world that you've been rescued from the ordinary me, ordinary life? I think the first thing is you have to acknowledge the rescue. You have to say, hey, I was rescued. You have to look back and see those moments and see that moment where you came into a relationship with Jesus and say, that was my rescue. The beginning, I told you about that story with my sister Kathy, and that was her, my rescue was when she got in the water with me, and I can acknowledge that. I think we have to appreciate the rescuer, and we have to say, God, thank you for giving me this extraordinary life. I don't have to have the ordinary life because I can have hope and joy in you and freedom. And then I um, also think that you have to announce the rescuer. Uh, Let me tell you who saved me. Remember last week I said there are some truths that are really important to say out loud. And I think this is one of them, that the people around you need to know that you've been rescued, that they'll be drawn to Christ by knowing that you had this rescue moment and who that rescuer was. And you start to talk about how he rescued you, leading into conversations that could be all about who rescued you and who he is. I had a moment, uh, we bought a car a few weeks ago and God just did his thing and I'm in the finance office of all places, which is the most fun you can have in a car dealership. And uh, they're taking down information and they asked me where I worked and I told them Hammock Street Church. And out of nowhere, the, um, the man processing the financing said, you know, I've been thinking, I need to get into church for my kids. And that opened up a door just this wide. And by the time we were done, I'd been able to share the gospel with him, invite him to church. He was so open to that. And I just announced the rescuer to him and said, this is what my experience has been. And God gave me this boldness in this finance office of a car dealership to announce, um, to acknowledge, appreciate, and announce the rescue that I have. So, The bottom line, I think, to this week, and really to both, is this. You may be an ordinary person, but through faith in Christ, you can be rescued from an ordinary life. You're going to be ordinary, but God offers us something so extraordinary when we offer our lives to him and surrender that up to him. He will give you a better life than you ever dreamed of. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the truth in this word. God, I thank you that even though we know that there is an enemy out there and he's prowling like a lion and he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us, that you came. You came that we could have this abundant life, this life that's way beyond anything we could have ever imagined it being. 
And God, I pray that you would help us to acknowledge that in our lives. God, help us to have a true appreciation looking back on where we were and the hopelessness and what the world had to offer. And then looking to you and acknowledging that rescue. And because of that, being so excited about the rescue that we have to announce it and tell people about that. Because God, you have rescued us from this ordinary life. And we want everyone to know the joy, the hope, the freedom, the love that we found that is what a real life is about. God, I pray this week as we go out that people will see you and us and will see the extraordinary changes and the extraordinary life that you've offered us to live. We love you so much, God. We acknowledge your rescue and we just know we're unworthy, but you did it anyway. In Jesus' name, amen.